This is the Free Talk New Zealand podcast. Free Talk New Zealand is not a safe space, but a free space, where we talk freely about whatever we find interesting here in New Zealand and the world. I'm your host, Emil, and with me I have our co-host, Joaquin. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is the fourth episode that we have for you. I'm here with Joaquin, and uh, we thought that we would go through Labor's recovery plan, what they call uh, what they call their rebuild plan. It's on their rebuild page. I think it's labor.org.nz/rebuild. Um, and uh, so, as, as the audience might know if they've if they've heard past episodes uh both joachim and myself we both have uh, a background in economics uh and we we like to dabble in political philosophy and so on so we thought we would um we would go through labor it's now a lot of a lot of uh whatever let's say critiques we might have for labor uh clearly would apply to other parties that do a lot of the same things but maybe to uh, let's say a lesser scale or might even want to do it in more let's say, to more of a scale if they could, uh, if they could uh, muster up the political support to do so. That's right. But, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, go ahead. You can say something. Yeah, no, so, um, I, I mean, this, this idea of uh, talking through this um, plan, so to speak, was, um, I, I got it when I got uh, sent a pamphlet in, you know, in, the, in, in, the, uh, in my inbox, my, my physical inbox my meat space inbox with the with the labor plan and i just read through it and yeah you know, it, it's just um from an, from an economic perspective there are there are a few interesting things that are worth worth discussing there and so maybe we can just jump jump into it uh, straight away what do you think sure. about that sure 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 yeah so there are um five different categories five different points uh and then of course sub uh bullet points be, be below each uh so uh, just as a top-line view, the first is invest in our people. Uh, number two is jobs, jobs, jobs. Uh, number three is preparing for the future. Number four is uh, supporting small business. And number five is position us globally. Yeah. So actually, um, I'm going to take a little bit of a, I thought we could take a little bit of a slightly different approach here because I think uh, the thing we should start with first is actually the second point, which is around creating jobs, because I think a lot of what we're saying there will actually be relevant for, for the rest of the points as well. Okay. Um, so let's kick that, that one off. And um, Yeah, I, just... I mean, the, the jobs thing I saw, the, the word jobs and create jobs and protect jobs and jobs, jobs was sprinkled throughout, I think, all, possibly all five of the points, if not four of them. Uh, yeah. And they just had a section jobs 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 and and uh i i also agree with you that was that was the main one that i wanted to point on as well so we'll go straight to it yeah so so the main the main thing to keep in mind here is that um and and of course this is very common in election times right that uh, politicians uh, promise jobs and i am i usually say that you should be aware of politicians promising jobs because um creating jobs is actually is actually not difficult it's creating value that is that is difficult yeah. Um, and, and as a typical example of that, it's like we could easily employ all of New Zealand um, by just setting up a, an infrastructure project to uh, build a canal and giving everyone a spoon and then just ask them to dig, right? Well, if you're going to mention a spoon, I have to give the background on that. Or, or if you happen to know it, feel free to. Ah, go ahead. Yep. Do you know, do you know this? 
Well, I, I know it from an from? article I read by by Horowitz a while ago, um, but uh, but you can Steve, give me the background. Stephen Horowitz. Yeah, that's right. Mm, okay, uh, the the uh, economist, everybody. Um, so yeah, so uh, Milton Friedman was in China. Uh, I don't I don't know what decade this happened to be, but uh, certainly before the the economy was opened up to the extent that it is today, um, and uh, and and he he saw a bunch of workers digging a hole with uh, with shovels. And and he was being given a tour, I think, by some uh, some party member, uh, communist party member, and uh, and, and he asked, uh, "What are they What are they doing with just regular old hand shovels?" He said, "Why don't you give them heavy equipment, uh, you know, earth movers and so on, uh, big backhoes or whatever?" Uh, and the and the person replied, "Oh no 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 no, this is a jobs program." And, and he said, <laughs> "If it's a jobs program, why don't you give them spoons?" <laughs> exactly. Well, I had I hadn't heard that, but that's a that is a fantastic uh, anecdote. And actually, I have a similar anecdote as yeah, well from China, mm. and it's not as extreme. But I remember visiting China. Um, I don't know, fifteen fifteen years ago. I honestly, it was a while ago, and um, I remember going to the airport there, and we were, I think we were flying domestic, and you go to the gate and you, you know, it's like, you're going to board, right? And so you, it's about the boarding process. So you come yeah. up there with your boarding pass. Yeah. And I remember there was ah. one person that stood there and I gave them the boarding pass yeah. and they didn't even look at it. They just passed it to the person next to them. <laughs> and that person looked at it and they passed it to the third person. I think they like scanned it in a machine and then they handed it back to me. Hmm. And I, that was three people. It, they, they had three people doing the job that, you know, would, I mean, actually, you can self-service that these days, right? And mm-hmm. then when you walk down into the, the um, whatever the thing that connects the, um, the building to the airplane, right? I, I don't know the actual name for that. Um, just before entering the plane, there were two more people that one of them took my boarding pass, mm-hmm. handed it to the second person, and they looked at it, me on yeah. board. Yeah. So, so that's the main thing, right? And um, it's, it's you, not... You've got actually, people employed, yeah. uh, but, but at what cost? So yeah. if, if those people are paid for privately, let's say by the by the the airlines, uh, then then that's just raising the price of your ticket, uh, and, and they could be doing other things. Uh, if they're paid for through, let's say, airport security, which more often than not it tends to be, let's say, uh, taxpayer funded, uh, then they, then you're paying for it with higher taxes, or 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 if they do it through debt, then they eventually has to come down to 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 taxes either way. Uh, but, right. but 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 and it raises prices for everything else because the fact that those people are doing non-productive uh, work. By the way, that this isn't to say necessarily that you shouldn't have a doubling up of checking a ticket of tickets for uh, for uh, getting onto the plane for security purposes. But it's, just, it's only to say that you know, we have to ask our, ourselves what's what is the person there for. We have to be honest about why is the person there. Is it because mm-hmm. we actually need it for for the additional security, or or is it because? Uh, it's a jobs program. If so, then we're we're, we're just unnecessarily uh, raising. Um, uh, we're we're uh, sorry. I'm slightly babbling. Go ahead, <laughs> cut me off. <laughs> yeah, no. You, I mean, ultimately, if it's a private business, you do a cost-benefit analysis. So, mm. um, what's the potential cost, or you know, what's the potential risk of? Or, I mean, the air, airline example, right? What's the potential risk, and how much do I want to spend on it? So, you you do a cost-benefit analysis. But here, they're just saying that they're going to promise jobs. They're just pretty much going to keep people employed. And, of course, if you keep people employed in unproductive um, 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 things, then you're actually going to end up spending more money than or yeah, spending more than you're actually bringing in. Right. So it's a it's a terrible investment. And it, and it doesn't 
it doesn't do anything for the economy as a whole. It actually destroys the economy as a whole. It, right. it might save a few people for a, or for a while, um, or at least give the appearance that they're being you know saved. But ultimately, you're destroying the the entire economy. Which, actually, if you think about it, and uh, this something I just realized as well is that you can bring the whole example back to Venezuela, which was was one of the the most um, the richest countries in in Latin America, and um, of course Chavez came into power. And he did all these economic plans, right? And for a while, everyone thought, oh, you know what? It, it actually works. It, it's, it seems to be working really well. And everyone Yeah, while the prosperous. price of oil was high. <laughs> yeah. But of course, the, he, what he was doing at that time was just destroying the entire economy. And of course, you know, no one's really looking at Venezuela now as, a, as a, an example of success. And mm. yeah, I, I guess, yeah, it's just, it's just that point, right? That... that the, the important thing is not about creating jobs. Anyone can create jobs. The important thing is about, about creating value and having an economy that increases the value for everyone, you know, the, the most right. that you can, uh, can, can do. And just That's right. We can, all, we can all have a job uh, digging holes with, with spoons, but it, 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 well, that's why the example is so brilliant because you can, you can say, well, well, who's going to make the food and who's going to make the, and who's going to make the, and who's going to make the, and you realize that, oh, it's not just about jobs. It's about uh, production as such and for things that people actually value. Yeah, that's right. And if you look at some of these things that they're, um, they're going to spend, they're going to create jobs in all these sectors and all these things that they're going to, you know, suggest that we should spend money on. Um, there, I mean, who knows if these are actually things that are, are worthwhile? We, we don't necessarily know that. Uh, so some of them seem, seem highly suspect, I would, I would think. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and it, you know, this is another thing we'll probably discuss um, for uh, later in the in, in the podcast. But um, if there's one thing that is completely missing from the entire plan, it's that there's I, I didn't read a single cut of expenditure at all. It's all about spending Increase. more. No, it's all about increasing, right? And it's all Keynesian economics. It's all yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, that's right. That's right. And if you um, if you were to run a business like that where you're in a financial hardship <laughs> yeah. and you just increase how much money you spend, you'd go out of business immediately. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's pretty much the point on jobs, I think. And I think that, yeah, that's the main point. And I'll say, um, you know, there's a little something that happened April 1st uh, that, the, that the, the government did, and this was labor pushing it and they were successful in doing it. And they pushed it on us during level four lockdown uh, and that's that they were able to raise minimum wage. So on one hand, they're saying, we want to increase jobs, increase jobs, increase jobs. And on the other, on the other hand, they made it more expensive for an employer to hire someone, especially, mm. well, particularly the, the low-skilled the, the, uh, low workers, which those are the ones that tend to make closer to the minimum wage. Uh, so they raised, uh, for adults, they raised it from 1770 to 1890 per hour. And for starting out in training categories, they raised it from 14, 16 to 15, 12 an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, so, look, it, there, there's one thing that actually government could do. When government says jobs, 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 I want to know how they're making, how they want to make it, make jobs uh, cheaper for employers to be able to hire someone, right? Yeah. Uh, and so there actually is one thing. When government says jobs, 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 I want to hear one thing. Uh, well, they could say a couple things. One is they could say tax cuts, something like that. Uh, but but of course, tax cuts could could lead to uh, the, the the private business using the extra money to buy, let's say, machinery, right? Because because ultimately, the business what they need, when what the economy needs, 
is production as such. It doesn't necessarily need a human doing it. It could be a, a machine doing it or a program, a computer program. But if you want to, but given that humans uh, compete against uh, machinery and computer programs and so on, um, you have to make it attractive for the, for, the, for the business to choose going with humans to do that rather than the machine doing that, right, uh, for production, right? And there, so there actually is one thing that governments could do uh, to increase jobs, and that would be to, uh, make, to make it less expensive, to, to make it less expensive for, empl for employers to, to go out and hire someone. That is to make it uh, no longer illegal. And really, they, what they could do is they could drop it to zero. I think Denmark has zero, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, his favorite should, country that likes to talk yeah. about. They, they're, the minimum wage is zero, but nobody's paid zero, so there's no exploitation in that, in that sense. Well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say nobody, because I know some people are perfectly willing to do an internship for free to, in order to gain the experience and put it on their CV and that kind of thing. You're about yeah, to just, I wanted to be careful about the, the Denmark example, which I, I actually don't know, but they often bring up the case of, um, and I'm saying this because Denmark could be the same as Sweden, because they're often bringing up the case of Sweden. In Sweden, they say, Sweden doesn't have a minimum wage. Um, and that's an example of how, you know, free market oriented Sweden is or whatever. But the, the point that people miss with Sweden is that um, in some ways, Sweden has a fascistic relationship between the private sector and the, um, the government sector. And while there is no minimum wage in the books, there's no law that mandates a minimum wage that is handled outside um, of the legal system, so to speak, through collective bargaining agreements. Ah, there you go. So yeah, so so the unions in Sweden actually have what they call a, a right of conflict. So they have the right mm -hmm. to take out all their members in a strike, and the employer cannot do anything to combat that. So they they give the um, the union and the em em employees, so to speak, a, an upper hand, and then they can uh, exercise that to push through demands in a collective uh, bargaining agreement. And that's how the, the minimum wage law uh, gets maintained mm -hmm. in Sweden. So I'm I'm I don't know anything about Denmark. I'm Mm. I am kind of thinking that they're probably uh, of a similar sort. Yeah, it could be, could be, yep. Uh, yep, okay. I, I know that uh, I have looked it up officially, and I, I saw uh, the minimum wages of the world. But, of course, in the table I was looking at, uh, they, they don't break down context and say, well, in no. practice, it, there's, there's this other thing with syndicates and so on. Yeah, so, so on that, um, I mean, you, on, the, on the minimum wage thing, you brought up a few things, um, examples already, of course, where... Um, like the justification for minimum wage law is that you want to give, you want to, you want to protect people um, so that they have a, a so-called living wage because they are like at the most, you know, the most vulnerable or whatever. Uh, so you, you raise the minimum wage and thinking that, you know, you're going to give them more money. That's the, that's the, one of the justifications for it. Of course, what ends up happening is that um, you, if you still employed, um, you will end, probably end up getting more paid, but you know that comes at the expense of other people who are now no longer deemed productive enough to justify the new minimum wage. So right. some people are going to get you know let go, and some right. people are going to you know benefit at the expense of those people. And they might not be they might might not be let go, made redundant immediately. Uh, but as they as they leave on their own, uh, if you're an employer, you'll be less likely to take on uh, the same amount of employees that you had previously. You, That's you right. You know? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. So right. there's a delayed there's a delayed effect. So you can't just look at it immediately. It's, oh well, you know, when we raised it, there wasn't an immediate effect of you know vast amounts of people being uh, being made redundant. You have to look at it over time. That's right, and also um, you can. So this is another example. So the um, the the, um, the 
the statement that minimum wage um, leads to um, less employment is actually it should be less employment than would have otherwise been the case because other otherwise people will say that well we increased the minimum wage law and actually we saw an increase in employment and therefore the the idea that economists have that minimum wage is actually leading to less employment is erroneous but that's that's kind of missing the point because if there was no minimum wage law there would would have been even more um, employment but but the other thing also to keep in mind. It, it, they might also, like you pointed out, they might just replace people with machines, right? Which That's is right. what has happened. And you look at uh, McDonald's, for instance, or other places. 100%. They just uh, replace them with kiosks, right? And that happens a lot. Yeah, it, that's that's one thing I was going to mention is is you know, when I when I walk past a, a fast food restaurant, I look in the lobby, I see two things. I see I see humans working next to machines, right? Those are the kiosks where you can place your order. Well, uh, you know, if you if you um, again, if you're if you're an employer of low skilled workers, um, you 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 have a choice. If if minimum wage goes up, you can. Uh, you have to do, you have to do two things. Whether it goes up or not, you still have to do two, do things. How do I want the production to be done? Do I want it with machinery or do I want it with humans? And the more you raise it for humans, uh, it runs counter. Well, again, for labor specifically, labor is the one that pushed it. They're the ones that were uh, uh, effective at getting it passed. Uh, so they've got on one on one hand, they want to increase uh, employment, or rather, they usually say decrease unemployment. Uh, on the other hand, they made it more expensive for private employers to hire people during a crisis, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a contradictory for sure. That's right. Um, and another thing I wanted to bring up there as well is that we talk about these people that stay in these low-wage jobs. Uh, and it's it's because you look at, um, at it in, in a static way. You look at, oh, well, this person is in this job and you know we need to protect that person. But the, the point I wanted to make as well is that, well, you're in a low-wage job, but... In, you're not in that low wage job forever, right? You go in job, you learn a skill, and then you can move up into a, a different. You can, you can take a different position. You can get paid more. You can, you know, because you've upskilled, you can you can move into another sector or whatever. And actually, by the, what the minimum wage law also does, by keeping people unemployed, it also keeping them unskilled, right? Mm. Uh, which is another problem. And the That's last right. thing. I want to bring you, you, want, you want barrier to entry to be as low as possible. You want yeah. you want fourteen year old. Well, I, I don't know what the legal age is in New Zealand, but I was you know I was working uh, legally when I was fourteen. I was working illegally before that. Uh, not in not in New Zealand, <laughs> and um, and and uh, you know I, I got to learn very quickly the the uh, the, the importance of showing up on on time uh, of hard work and so on. And frankly, I want I want I want the barrier to be low so people can learn how much certain jobs, how, how badly they suck as soon as possible so, so that people can decide whether they want to go out and upskill. <laughs> so they can not, they, you don't want to learn this when you're 20. You want to learn it when you're 16. <laughs> as soon as possible, for sure, yeah. Yeah, so you want barrier to entry to, to be as low as possible, including the minimum wage. Uh, yeah. You had another point. I cut you off. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, sorry. Um, so, and the last point was just something to connect back to the, what, what was mentioned before when we had the, uh, we talked about, well, I mean, w- people want to have a minimum wage because they want to give people a, a living wage and it's a way for, for them to, I mean, it, it, the argument is made, it's a way for us to help these people out to get a, a higher salary. Um, and it has no impact on, on on employment at all. So if that's the case, why don't we just set the minimum wage at $1 million per hour? You that's know? right. That's and, right. Uh, what's stopping you? <laughs> exactly. It's, if it's good as such, <laughs> what's stopping you? Yeah. And once you, once you answer that question, you you do know that it's going to lead to, I mean, it does lead to unemployment, and of course, it leads to mm. small businesses going and medium-sized businesses going out of 
out of business as well. Mm, and just for the listener, uh, we're, we're not saying that uh, raising minimum wage uh, is, is bad for everybody, certainly not in the short term. I remember when I was making minimum wage and the government raised uh, uh, minimum wage uh, by, what was it, I think, from $4.25 uh, $4 per hour to four seventy five, and I was ecstatic. And then they raised it later to, to $5.15. Uh, but fortunately for me, by the time they raised it to five fifteen, I was certainly uh, better at what I had been doing <laughs> at this low-skilled low job. And uh, so at least, uh, at least I wasn't let go, but, um, yeah, but someone but, probably was. And, um, yeah, yeah, but fewer people, yeah, but they're going to take on fewer, fewer young people, uh, or, or even let's say, uh, lower skilled, uh, young adults, um, each time you raise it. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I think that kind of covers off the job section. What do you think about that? Sure. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was labor's point two: jobs, jobs, jobs. So the next one is investing in our people. So that's number one. Um, so as a, just a quick summary of the bullet points, they, they say things like free apprentices, uh, free apprenticeships and trades training. They say uh, they want a wage sub uh, subsidy. They want COVID income relief payments. They want Expanding lunches in schools to more children. They want uh, increased uh, main benefits uh, by $25 per week and double the winter energy payment. They want uh, extra mental health and well-being support. They want uh, boosting for warmer Kiwi homes and rent freezes and uh, so on and so on. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, what do you call in interventions in the economy, right? That's and, right. Uh, and it, everything here is about spending. It's just spending, 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 and spending. Yeah. 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 And um, the, um, the reference to free, of course, means that the person taking it up it don't have to pay anything up front. But let's not um, kid ourselves that this will be funded by, by, uh, by the government. And the government, of course, only has a few ways to, to get, get the money to spend on these things. And that's either through taxation, which... To be fair, Labour only said that they would uh, increase the um, taxation for the top high-income earners, right? So um, I think they were, they said it would give them an extra five hundred million a year in in taxes. I think, uh, which you know, it doesn't cover much at all if you think about it. So the other option here would be, I guess, to um, pr print money or you know take on take on debt. Which is the only yeah, exactly. So there's traditional taxation, then there then there's tax by inflation uh, as just one other way they can do it. Uh, and and so uh, as as you and I know, but uh, maybe not everybody that is is listening knows is is that's uh, whatever savings you have in your account, you still have the number, same. Maybe ha if you hadn't spent any, just to control for all variables here. Uh, let's say let's say you had fifteen thousand in your account uh, before the inflation, and a year later you still had fifteen thousand. Well, you still have the same amount of units, um, but but what you can buy with the same amount of units of dollars uh, is is much less. You, you notice a general price rise over the over time, and that's when government increases the monetary supply, uh, or the, the 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 central bank, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, in this case. Right. Yes, yeah. and there are there are various ways you can you can notice that as well. Ultimately, what it comes down to is that you get less for the for the money that you have, and one of the things could be that prices increase. So you have a one liter of milk, 
it costs, I don't actually honestly don't know what it costs, but let's say it costs $5 now. And in a year's time, it's going to cost you $6. And then you have an increase in price there, which is an effect of in, an inflation of the monetary supply. But mm. the other way, of course, to, um, um, to see inflation as well is that, well, you don't get um, one liter, you get 0.9 liters, but it still costs $5. So you it, you know, when you're spending the money, you think you're spending the same amount, but you're actually getting a less quantity. Um, That's right. And I think the third way of doing it is also, or the third way of noticing it is that um, you will have, um, on the market, they will pop up uh, substitutes of less quality. So you, you get, mm. you can't have the, the $5 organic milk anymore, but you can buy the $5 super processed milk instead. Mm. Um, and then you, mm. you know, you get milk for $5, but it's actually not the same good. It's of a less quality. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of how you would how you would notice it, and mm. the the truth is they don't actually say anything on on this page how they're going to finance it. Um, but it, it's obviously mm. not to, through taxes, so I'm thinking it's going to be financed mainly through debt. And mm. uh, of course, <clears throat> debt eventually needs to be repaid, and eventually that's you know people are going to have to repay that through taxes. That's so, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's so yeah, so it, and they again they can they can say oh we're only increasing taxes for the uh, for the the upper income levels fine but again for for those you know it, it's the 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 relatively poor uh, that that they that their savings matter because they they probably don't have other assets that that are named they might not own their home they don't uh, maybe they haven't bought gold and silver or uh, whatever whatever assets that you can name probably not no stocks and that kind of thing so. Uh, so, uh, an increase in the money supply and rather I- inflation, reducing the value of, of the dollar, the few dollars they do have, it hurts them the most. So labor can say all they want that, oh, well, we haven't raised taxes for the poor or even the middle class. Uh, well, you know, it, it's the poor still pay pretty harshly too. Absolutely. And, and also this thing about, um, you know, taxing the rich, it's not like the um, the rich are some natural resource that is exists in an unlimited supply that you can mm. just go and suck um, suck dry. The, the, the truth is right. that um, without going, I mean, some people get rich um, in what we would call illegal or even immoral means, and, and but many people also get rich in, in ways that are moral because they're serving a need on the market in a good way. And... Um, I mean, um, so, so yeah, the point is just that these people get taxed and they may get taxed for a while, but then a tax on anything is actually a, um, something that discourages that thing. So if you, for instance, if you, right. if you put taxes, tax on smoking, you do that possibly because you want to discourage smoking by making it more expensive. And if you put tax on wealth, which the Greens uh, want to put in place, for instance, they, um, you're going to discourage wealth. And of course, and then you're also, yeah, and then you're, of course, you're also discouraging a source of income for the state. Now, from my perspective, um, I know that a lot of people make the argument that, well, you know, if we just lower the tax rate, the government's going to get more money. But I actually don't want the government to have more money. I think we should just lower the. <laughs> I think we should lower the tax rate so the government has less money and that they make sure that they spend it within their means, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, and any, anyway, eventually those rich people are going to go away, and then who are you going to tax, right? I mean, the rich people either they're either either connected enough to know how to actually get away from paying taxes. Um, they know various ways to, to avoid it, or they just take their capital and move somewhere else or take their business and move somewhere else. Right. That's and not it, unheard of and there's a little, in any there's, way that happens all the time. 
And there's a little, in terms of tax base, there's a, there's a well-known concept in economics called the Laffer curve. Yeah. And that's, that's that uh, you can indeed, the government can indeed increase its, its tax base by raising taxes uh, on the rich or whoever. Uh, but after a certain point, the, the tax base, if you increase beyond a certain point, the tax base uh, is actually less uh, because, you, you know, nobody's going to work for free. Uh, I don't know how many do documentaries I've seen, uh, documentaries or other, you know, people making political arguments, uh, saying that, well, uh, the tax on the rich, uh, when, when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president, uh, was up to 90%, and, and often it's said in a good thing. There was one Michael Moore documentary that I saw, I think, I think it was, uh, was it the um, um, Capitalism, A Love Story, that was a and he, he was saying, he was man, remember the good old days when, when the, the rich were taxed at 90%. But uh, I read later that, that uh, almost nobody paid that because they, they uh, well, who, who, has, who, ha who has money to, to, uh, to finance, uh, um, let's say, uh, a, a politician who's going to create an exception here, create an exception there. If you buy, if you buy a yacht and your money's in the yacht, kind of, that kind of thing, for exceptions, right? And the other, the other thing is um, there's um, people people vote with their feet uh, quite often when they can. Uh, we're, saying, we're seeing this right now in the, in the U.S. as a so-called blue state exit, uh, sorry, exodus. Uh, people leaving California and places like that. I actually saw, I can't remember the name of the org right now, but it, there's, uh, in, in the U.S. there's an organization um, called the, the, the something, something, not the tax, it's kind of like a tax, kind of like in New Zealand, there's the ta New Zealand Taxpayers Union. It's like that, but it's, it's, it, it's based in the U.S., but it does, a lot of analysis for uh, countries around the world, and I saw, and they 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 did a heat map of all the states in the U.S. And I was looking at uh, they 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 track this. They had two different heat maps in the same article. One of them traced uh, outgoing uh, migrations, and the other the other taxed um, outgoing net migrations, and the other taxed uh, and the other uh, had a heat map in terms of the highest and the lowest uh, uh, tax rates. And I noticed that uh, that that the the states that had the highest tax rates also had, <laughs> surprise, surprise, always had, also had the, the net uh, migration losses. People were leaving, you know, voting with their feet to get out of it. Uh, you know, moving within a nation state like in the U.S., you, you, don't, you don't need a visa. If, if you're from uh, New Jersey, you don't need a visa to move to New York or, or to Florida or whatever, right? You can just, if you can afford to just move, you just, you just move. Uh, so the, it, and I was noticing New Jersey, for example, um, uh, I, I, th I think it might have been the highest, the highest tax is of all 50 states. And it also was, I think it, it had, um, it was, um, <clears throat> I think, second to the last or third to last in terms of, um, uh, or, or, or how do I say that, it had a net, the highest, the third highest net loss of, uh, of, of people voting with their feet just leaving. And California, all similar, you know, not, <laughs> this isn't a way to do things. Especially not in the globalized world, where people get two, three passports and you know, literally just just leave. That's right. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. And of course, when all those people leave, who are you gonna who are you gonna keep taxing? You have to bring it down, and you need to start taxing the middle class, and then they start leaving. That's right. It just it just doesn't it doesn't work as a as a um, as a plan really mm. Um, mm. to finance anything. Mm. And um, I mean, it's just um, that that's like a shocking thing for me that. Um, we're in this economic crisis, um, or you know, it hasn't fully hit yet. I think it's going to get it's going to get worse. But um, mm -hmm. no one no one is talking about living within their means. There's 
no one's talking about that and it's all about we we need to we need to spend all this money on all these different things and we're going to incur a massive amount of debt in order to mm. do so and it's just um yeah it's just shocking like if if a company would operate like that they'd go out of business immediately and yeah that's right the big difference between you know a private company and um and and government is is the 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 is gov- private companies they offer on a they they operate on a very strict profit and loss right it's very clear. It's night and day, right? Uh, profit and loss, right? If you're in the loss, you're in the red. You go out of business eventually. You have to operate under conditions of competition. Uh, and governments, by contrast, they also, you know, they have budgets and so on. Uh, but, but if they can spend far beyond their means because they have a monopoly on what is money because they, they, they can raise the, uh, the tax rates to whatever arbitrarily high number that they can politically get away with and so on. There's not this, and they can pass on, just live off credit cards and just pass on the debt to the, to the next, to the next uh, people that come in starting new terms uh, in office. Just pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. They can do that. Of course, you can't do this uh, indefinitely either, but uh, you can certainly do it longer than you can uh, a, a private company that doesn't have a monopoly on money <laughs> and that kind of thing yeah that's right you you can do it for a while but in the end the reality always comes comes and gets you um another thing they can do as well that you you mentioned a few things there another thing they they do is also they to the extent that you have a pension system um they increase the pension age and uh, mm-hmm. i i think this this has been proposed or i'm i think i've read it that they wanted to increase the pension age to 67 which of of course it's um it's a, another way of saying that um it, that is actually probably done on a on a pure cost benefit analysis right where they go and say well x amount of people are going to die between 65 and 67 so we don't have to pay the money for them and that's how you save money in the system um they never phrase it like that when they say they increase the pension age but that's exactly what it means mm, mm. um yeah uh, on on the section uh, investing in people um just in general um, I think we should mention a little something about the overall tone of it. Uh, and it, it tries to do so many things. Um, and I should say, in a democracy, it's a little odd when I find that either a single person or a single political party uh, sees itself as running the country. I, I, I hate it when I say, when I, when I, hear, when I hear somebody uh, mentioning uh, a head of state or, you know, uh, running the country. It, they're not right in, in democracy it's not it's not supposed to be that there's supposed to be many many individual ends we all have our own ends it's supposed to be a free society there's a facade at least of of freedom um and there's supposed to be um in a free, in a free society they would be let's say um people who come up with rules that are applied to all equally and we can all you know how do we live in peace <laughs> among our very different ends we have very different ends very different talents very different resources and and that kind of thing but it's it tries to run the country and it uh and in to the next point it tries to do so much that it makes uh calculating uh, it's a planning on an individual um perspective much more difficult to do there's a a quote from hayek's the road to serfdom he says the more the government plans the more difficult planning becomes for the individual Right, so it, you know, if the government just takes less out of your out of your uh, less from you in taxes, you can you, you know how much you have, and you, you can spend it when you're ready to spend it. Uh, but if if they take more from you, and then they say, uh, and you can apply 
to for this such and such uh, government program to hire a bunch of these workers and so on. Then, then you instead of just doing easy cost accounting of how much, how much, what resources do I have? How many units of dollars do I have in my bank account? What's the what's the what's my return on leaving it in that account in term deposit or whatever? Uh, instead of doing it simple like that, now I have to figure out how to n navigate the political system. I have to, I have to uh, uh, I, I have to choose between the the fewer options that are offered to me by government programs. Government, you know, it's, it's, it just it just complicates things. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and that's something that um, I mentioned a few episodes back. And I had a very real experience of that when I moved to New Zealand because I of course I come from from Sweden right which has a high very very high tax rate and it's a it's a regulated economy and they uh, they run the economy on the principle of the carrot and the stick so they take a lot of money away from you um but if you follow the the path that the government wants you to take you get it back in terms of in, in the form of certain subsidies right that's the carrot um, and if you don't take the path they want, you have to pay even more, and that's the stick. Um, and and what I realized moving here, where the um, taxation is considerably lower, and just to give you an example, the highest current tax rate I hear I think is thirty three percent, and I and that's where the taxation yes. right starts now in Sweden. Yeah, oh, that's where right it starts. Now. The, oh, mar wow. the marginal tax yeah. rates, yeah, so it starts there. Um, and what I realized of course, moving here, is that it, it's not just about, you know, I, I am taxed less. What it means is that I actually have the ability to make my own choices here in a way that I couldn't do in Sweden. Because in Sweden, you get mm. the one-size-fits-all solution, whereas here, I, there are so many more options that I can choose from. And it, that is actually, that is real freedom for me. And, it, mm. and it's real freedom for me and my family to choose the life we want to live. And I just did not have that freedom in Sweden. Mm. For me, that was a really material thing here that I noticed yeah um exactly okay um did you have anything else or do you want to move on to the next one uh let's move on but before I do I'll just mention that uh again all those points all those things that labor wants to do in point one investing in our people uh they all ignore completely ignore opportunity cost Right. If there's one yeah. thing that the one good thing, uh, or we'll say one of several, I should say, uh, that the field of economics uh, does, focuses on that other fields uh, seemingly uh, don't certainly don't focus to the same extent on, and that's uh, paying attention to those opportunity costs. Okay, you want to do X. Great. Uh, well, the government is not a uh, what, what's the what's the best term? The government is not a um, it, 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 it it's when it does something positive it ha it necessarily also does something negative at the same time it has to take away from something and yeah, it's, um, when it's when a zero sum kind of thing rather than a, that's right. a plus that's right. yeah that's right that's right so th th when i see uh political parties with a list of plans uh and, and no calculations <laughs> for uh yes here's all these jobs we want to create and, and, and no no calculation for what whatsoever for trying to calculate uh, knowing, you know, acknowledging an opportunity cost, and here, and here are the the jobs we think will kill by creating these new jobs, and here's why we think it's worth it, uh, and and here and here's the net amount of jobs that we, that we that we are creating and showing how there, there's more than those they're killing. When they don't do that, and by the way, they never do that. <laughs> I've never I've never seen it ever. Uh, you, you just you just know they're they're just being politicians. There's, we shouldn't trust any political party within any of this. 
Yeah, and and that actually made me uh, remember something that I read, and I forget who it was. I'm gonna just check on their website because it's apparently the number four guy, uh, Phil Phil Tyford or Twyford. I'm probably butchering that name. Apologies, Phil. Um, he uh, <laughs> he had apparently created a um, a business plan for some project that he wanted to uh, to do, and he's number four on Labor's list. And the um, the business plan uh, that he, like how much is it going to cost to do this? And he had estimated it to, and this is by far my, my favorite line of, of this, this election. It was between 2 million and more than 10 million. Like what kind of range is that? <laughs> so if you spend infinite amount of, of the dollars, you're still within your you know budget because I said it could be more than 10 million. And if I, if I came into, um, you know, the, to, to my office and I had a business plan and I said, oh, it's going to be between 2 million and more than 10 million. I'm, I'm just, they're just going to laugh me out of the room and just tell me to go away. Right. And this, this is not mm. a serious thing to consider. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. The, um, this opportunity cost to, to everything. And of course the government, like you pointed out, um, the government's a zero sum thing. It, it takes um, money from the productive or the private sector. Um, it takes money. From that sector, and then it redistributes that to 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 other parts of the economy um, for various reasons. And sometimes that can be corruption. Sometimes that can be someone's pet project, like um, a private school teaching environmentalism, for instance, or mm. something like that. But it it always takes from what has been produced on the market by private people using the economic means. It takes the political means and it moves it and it redistributes it to something else. Uh, of course, the market, uh, when you have an interaction between two people, is not a zero-sum game because if I exchange my phone, uh, you pay me $100 for my phone. Actually, you're, value, you're valuing the, the phone higher than your $100, and I'm valuing the opposite, so I'm valuing uh, your $100 more than my phone. Right. And uh, for me, you know, I, I benefit from that, but you also benefit from it. So the market right. is actually a, a positive-sum game, where cre- and that's, that's really the thing, right? That's how you create value. And the only way you can do that is by letting people trade freely with each other. And whenever the government comes in, and, and they always destroy that, and it's zero sum or negative sum. Mm, that's right. Mm. Um, so moving on to the point number oh, three. Sorry, I, I, <laughs> that, that was excellent. I just, <laughs> before we even go, uh, it, building on that point, it, it brings up another thing, is, is that among the many reasons uh, that we could... Um, emphasize this is that look the 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 less that the government's doing the the less the less um the, in general just pro, the fewer projects that government is doing the um the the less there is opportunity for uh for corruption and rent seeking and i i noticed that um uh you know rents rent rent seeking for who for those that might not know is when you go to the government and instead instead of uh creating something creating value, starting your own business and selling goods or services on the open market where transactions are voluntary, you can instead go to the government and say, hey, I've got a really good idea. Can I, and can I you know, get money from you, right? And so now you, now you get paid. Now, that isn't to say that, um, that uh, every contracting that you could possibly do is, uh, with the government is necessarily... Uh, un, unjustified, but but it, it open certainly opens up. Uh, let's say 
a can of oper a, it widens the opportunity for um, for rent seeking that um, that you the listener uh, might not for the types of projects that you might not think should be spent um, so if you want if you want to minimize opportunity for corruption and minimize opportunities for uh, uh, for rent seeking uh, just remember that there's there's two ways to to make money there's the market and then and then there's there's the the political route um, do you really think that people should get filthy rich through the political route or, or should they get filthy rich by you know creating a lot of value in the market for you know when people voluntarily hand over every single dollar of, of what they you know clearly getting back more than they're paying in as judged by their own actions yeah and I'm, I, I'm I actually I don't know it really um, the truth about what I'm just going to say but you can look at this guy who was who ran water care in Auckland and managed to um, you know create a, a severe drought in Auckland where it actually does rain quite a lot just by not doing the right things and this guy got paid seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year and it's just yeah it's just hard to fathom for me and mm -hmm. I, I can tell you that there are probably a lot of people out there that would not want to pay that guy that much money, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And certainly if, uh, um, if water production was a strictly um, market phenomenon and there were different producers competing for, for it on the open market, not just for the government contract, not just private producers competing for the government contract to be the sole producer, but, but rather uh, every, <laughs> every, every consumer had, had the right to go with, with this uh, water producer and seller, or that produ water producer and seller, uh, then you could just see through open competition wh which ones people uh, prefer when they vote with their dollars. Um, exactly, and uh, you, you raised a good point there as well that it's not just that it's a private uh, individual or a private company that is running running the show. That's not the in important thing about having a free system the important thing is the keyword there is competition in open competition mm, that's right and uh, to just have one to just have a monopoly that is outsourced is not actually a free market or open competition at all which it just brings the same problems maybe it's run more efficiently or more to budget but there are other issues that come with it and there are the same issues that are present if a if a government is running the the, the show mm. yeah um, All right. Next point. Yeah. Yeah. So the next point, preparing for the future. So this is um, number three. To, yeah, number three. Yep. Upgrading neglected local infrastructure, getting our construction sector moving. Again, we're talking here about creating jobs, so to speak. Uh, they they want to um, record investments to upgrade the hospitals and health services so they can keep up with population growth, creating jobs while boosting predator control efforts, etc., and major investment in env environmental prog uh, projects. Um, again, it's this whole thing is all about about creating job and taking um, a lot of money and and spending it on these these things. It's there's not no talk at all about trying to be more efficient or anything like that. It's just pretty much yeah. just kicking off investment the whole bunch as of such. Things. Yeah, it's just investment as such. It's just like just throw a bunch of money at things and see what happens. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think I think probably. Most, if not all, of our general critiques of the previous section apply here. Uh, I could also point out. Uh, I made a couple notes when I when I read this that that uh, this this one just reminded me of uh, Ludwig von Mises's economic calculation problem, 
And that's, again, uh, given that these things aren't strictly uh, privatized, right, um, you, the, the government can't, can't, can't at all possibly know um, where, where, where government investment dollars should be spent. Um, so this, this, calc this economic calculation problem uh, from Ludwig von Mises comes from a 1920 paper uh, called Economic Calculation in the Socialist Commonwealth. So he, um, in general, he, he made, he made a, an argument saying that um, if, if you don't have uh, private firms uh, competing in a market co economy uh, with competition for resources, and if you don't have private ownership of uh, the means to production, not only of consumer goods, but also of production. And if you don't have unhampered market prices, uh, and if you don't have a sound money, that's the four things. Uh, if you don't have these things, you can't po the government can't possibly know uh, whether it should spend money on this or that. And to give an example, uh, this is an example he gave, and then uh, the late Murray Rothbard also uh, sort of expanded on it on another in another book. Uh, is that um, uh, which one was it? Ah, it's, so um, platinum as a metal is a superior metal to steel, as as far as I know. And it's um, so. What is to stop a government from building um, subways around the country made out of platinum? It's a superior steel. But if you don't have competition for the raw materials, all, going all the way, not again, not only uh, uh, not only market prices for uh, for consumer goods, but also producer goods, and also the the the, the actual raw materials themselves as they were being mined out of uh, well the mines, uh, you you can't possibly know uh, the cost of things. And if you can't know the cost of things, you don't know whether whether you should you should uh, you should build a subway. Uh, based on platinum or steel, right? And to the extent that the government's able to calculate it, all these things and, and know, well, that's silly. Uh, the, why would the government build a railroad out of platinum? We know better than that. Well, uh, the, to the extent which the government's able to, to, to have a starting point to know, well, it's doing out of steel, even though steel is uh, metallurgically inferior, um, steel is economically superior, uh, the only reason the, the government is able to know that is there, be, is, is there exists alongside of the government uh, a, a market economy, and they're able to sort of, sort of make uh, ballpark calculations uh, or sort of that are in the correct direction. Um, so uh, the, in, in the economic calculation problem, there's a, there's a, a couple general points, and that's one is that government, the governments do have technical knowledge they know how to do things, uh, but they, they don't have entrepreneurial or dispersed knowledge of where and when to do what. And, you can, and the thing is that you can only really know where and when to do what it, through a process of competition in the private market. So, if, um, so should, should my, uh, if I own a sushi restaurant right next to your sushi restaurant, should I... Uh, should I put the soy sauce on it by myself or, or should I let the customer put it on, right? You only sort of learn through a process of competition what consumers actually want. Uh, when I'm allowed to go out of business, if I, if I do it wrong and that among many other things that I could do and, and you're right next to me, you're doing it a slightly different way and we both sort of discover, again, through competition. 
So governments have the technical knowledge. They certainly know how to do things, but they don't have the entrepreneurial or the dispersed knowledge of where and when to do what. Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, the, way, the way I like to explain the, um, the economic calculation problem is that uh, every, every individual will have their own subjective uh, view of things. So they have what they call subjective value. That's the subjective value theory. It's, um, I, um, I guess it was Menger and, and Mises kind of proponents of that one. But um, they have um, a subjective valuation of things. And you cannot calculate based on the subjective value because it's, it's all in everyone's minds, in everyone's person, so to speak. And it, it does, there's no common unit. It's not something that you can, can use to calculate. Um, but when you let people trade on a free market, the interaction of people's subjective valuations result in something objective, and that's the price. That's right. It becomes and, objective when, when the price is established. Right. And then you have an objective price. And of course, that is a, is, a, is a clear fact of time and space. And you can use that in order to calculate. Uh, we, when you don't have that, when you don't have the free interaction of individual, individuals on the market you'd never get an objective price. And it's not something you can just dream up, right? It's mm. you're losing the very information that you need in order to, to calculate uh, on mm. the market. And, mm. and I mean, the, um, the market economy is, is amazing in many ways. And we discussed the, how complicated it is to make a pencil and still it works. And you have millions of people that are all working together to create a pencil. And other examples of that is that you can live in one part of uh, the US, right? Uh, and you you buy a house and they build that house in the completely opposite end of the US and they ship it across the entire country to you. And that's the best and most efficient way actually of building that house for a myriad of different reasons. Um, in certain cases, yeah. Yeah, exactly. In certain cases, I'm not saying it's always the case, but you know, that could be the case. But if you if you were to think about that yourself, you think, no, it's of course it's you know much better if they just build it locally, right? But actually mm. it turns out it's not. And and if you don't spend that wasteful energy in one place and kind of you make it make the house in another place way more efficiently then you have more you basically free up more of the markets to do to create more things and other examples of that is that you um maybe you, you build a shoe and you build it in four different places and you ship the uh, as you're assembling the shoe you're kind of shipping it all over the world and it ends up in outside your your door and it's that is the most efficient way of doing it um at, at least that people know right and it's amazing. And people often think of those, um, they, they put up a map, a world map, and they say, oh, look, th this thing went to all these different countries to be produced. Isn't that wasteful? And it's like, no, it's the opposite. It's actually, yeah, that right. is the least wasteful way of doing it. That's right. And um, another example, or it's, a, it's an anecdote from the Soviet Union when it comes down to uh, mandating production, right? And the typical example of nails in Soviet Union, and I don't, I forget the exact specifics of it, but at, at some point they wanted to mandate uh, the creation of nails because you need nails uh, and you need to have nails in order to create houses. So they said, well, you know what we want, we, we want, or we're mandating pro uh, nail production companies to create, uh, let's say 5 million nails. Okay, well, you know, what, what, what do you do as a nail a production company? Well, you make the, the smallest, possible nails that you can make and you make five million of those and you say i met my quota <coughs> but that of course doesn't serve the real need because you wanted bigger nails so mm -hmm. you, you you turn it around and you go actually um they, they need to um 
contain this this much or they need to weigh this much and of course you just create the biggest ones you can create but they're not again they're not fit for purpose and there's not enough of them either right um so <clears throat> so that yeah that's just you can't you cannot mandate these things from a central position you need the the local knowledge and you need to let the market decide what's best and most fit for purpose because ultimately if it's fit for purpose it will be successful because people will pay for it and then that's your signal that actually I'm, i can continue doing this right and, and when we say the market we don't mean some you know there's no there's no divine top central planner telling people you know the the, the invisible hand almost seems to imply that there's a you know a d divine interventionist but what it is is, is there's a as we discovered, there's a there's a spontaneous order. There's uh, just like a, as there is in biology, um, you know, through evolution through natural selection. Is that um, in the in the market, people? Uh, it's a lot of individuals looking out mostly for their own self interest. Although although there also does exist uh, altruism and and kin selection and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but it, it's a market of it's a trial and error uh, process of discovery where pe people uh, discover. Uh, the, the, at least the, the least bad known the least bad known alternative uh, among uh, an array of, of options presented to them in the market. Yeah, and the, and the final point I wanted to bring up as well is the uh, the idea that when uh, and I, I, again I forget forgot who to say, said this who said this but um, the the communists when they wanted to you know I think I think this was brought up in the uh, economic calculation debate uh, in the after Mises article came out, uh, which went on for decades. Um, there was, of course, a problem with creating the whole world as communism. If, once you, if you accepted Mises um, argument and it was never rebutted, but if you accepted Mises argument, of course, there's a problem with putting the entire country under socialism. And um, I think someone famously said that let's make all of the world communists except Switzerland where they can have a free market economy and set all the prices and then we can just copy the prices. That, that might, that might've been Switzerland, but I, I remember a similar quote. I, I think they, uh, it, it might, I think someone in China said something like, like, well, except Hong Kong, we have to be able to look to Hong Kong. Uh, um, yeah. And I, I, I think, uh, I think it's uh, Joe Salerno that makes this point that uh, the Soviets, they were taking, they were importing Sears catalogs uh, from the United yes. States, Sears uh, to the United States, uh, from the United States to to the Soviet Union, so they could have a ballpark figure of what things sh should cost, so that they they could do their best to behave as if uh, they were able to, uh, uh, as if they were able to to uh, let's say rationally calculate. Uh, they would look to nearby markets. So what, what should what are blue jeans being sold for there for? Okay, well, okay, so we need to you know <laughs> like yeah. No, I remember that. Now that you raise it, yeah, I remember that example as well. The Sears catalogs. Yep. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, uh, so, to, to just hone on one point uh, again, on point three, uh, preparing for the future. One of them is is that uh, labor wants to uh, build another eight thousand uh, extra pub public or transitional homes. Uh, I assume they mean it uh, as part of their greater Kiwi Build program. Remember, this began a few years ago, and the uh, the initial goal was 100,000 homes. They, they noticed that the prices of homes were too high, and I, I think that's that, that's true. But, uh, the way that they wanted to go about uh, about fixing this was to increase the supply, rather rather than uh, making it easier for let's say building permits and for people to you know to just generally build. Uh, the government <laughs> labor said, "Oh, we'll do it." <laughs> 
right? Uh, saw themselves as a as a as a state entrepreneur. Um, uh, now, there's, if I'm not mistaken, it's only something like 500 or so uh, of the total 100,000 that have been built year, uh, year to date. Uh, but for whatever reason, they say, well, we're, we're, we still want to build another 8,000. Okay, fine enough. Uh, where would you like to build them? In which quantity? Uh, in, or, okay, we know the quantity, 8,000. Uh, but in which quality? And should they, should they have a front porch? Should they have a backyard or, or just a front yard? Uh, should they be one acre? Should, should they be in uh, what size? You know, like yep. the only way in which they're able to calculate, sort of, it, sort of know, get a general idea of what the demand is, uh, a, a, of, rather of what consumers want and for which price are they willing to pay, is to look to well, what's what's the private sector? Where are they putting it, right? <laughs> but but when they when they say, okay, well, clearly there's a demand of building homes in that neighborhood, and they put them in, and and well, and well, what what do people want? Uh, like in which quality, uh, what size yard, uh, and, and, and should they have a chimney or not? Uh, they have to look at well, what are the other, what is the private sector doing all by itself? So we can have a guess, a guesstimate of, of what, what the government should also do. Uh, but, but this has a crowding out effect. You know, this, this, uh, this, uh, this, this doesn't have a, a neutral effect on the market. It has a, ne uh, a negative effect on the market. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I didn't think about it, but you're right. The um, we're gonna build eight thousand homes. That's exactly the the nail example from the Soviet Union that I brought up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and uh, so incentives matter. So if you're a Soviet planner, uh, you know, I, the gauze plan was what they used in the Soviet Union. So and, and you're a factory owner, and 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 you're told by your superiors that you need to uh, produce x amount of tons of nails if they tell you it in tons the incentive is to to increase uh as large size nails as they'll let you get away with and if yeah. they say x number of nails uh, then, then you're then and if it's a really high number then suddenly you want to create little nails right yeah. rather than what the produce rather than what the what people who might want to actually need the nails actually need right sometimes you need small ones sometimes you need large ones sometimes you need thin ones sometimes fat ones and and you Right, so you can discover this through a market process, but when it's yeah. top down, you make the wrong nails that the market that's, doesn't want. That's right, and sometimes you don't even need nails at all. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So stop producing; you're overproducing. Yeah. So um, if we're moving on to the next one, which is supporting small businesses, here's the the uh, the first point of the program that I, I agree with. <laughs> oh, okay. Without reading it in oh, more yeah. detail, but it's um, they want to free up more money for business uh, by giving a three billion dollars in tax refunds. Mm. Which, which I think is a great idea um, to the extent that is written here. I actually don't know how they're thinking about it in terms of a tax but refund, actually what it actually means. It. Yeah. Right. But let's right. say that it's a proper tax refund. Businesses have paid money to the government. They're getting a bunch of that money back. I, I think that's great. That's a great way of doing it. Uh, or even just saying that, you know, moving forward, you, you are taxed less moving forward. Um, the, again, the main problem for me is just you're not cutting your spending. This is the main problem, right? If you're going to do right. these things, you need to also reduce the size of what you want to do. You need to live within your means. Otherwise, this is just a recipe for disaster. And a lot of these things here are, are similar. I mean, you have the, um, the interest-free loans, for instance. I mean, some yeah, government loans. They're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Do I have a problem with loans as such? No, I don't. Do I have a problem with the government? doing the loans and deciding the winners and losers or of, of who gets to get, get these loans. Yeah, I do actually. Yeah. And they're, they're, um, it's, it's my money. I mean, they are supposedly representing right. me and they're representing mm. my money and they're handing out these interest-free loans 
which I have no say in. And probably the risk is quite high that this money goes away. And I, I'm not re- being rewarded for that risk because they are interest-free. Mm. And um, yeah, and, and there are other things there as well. So it's the Tourism Recovery Fund, of course, which is we're going to throw a lot of money into the tourism sector because first of all, we, we destroy the tourism sector. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah. And then now we're going to continue just to, to stay, keep it afloat. We're going to throw money at it. Well, this is the equivalent of taking people's money and say that, you know, yeah, that was your money. And um, now we're going to spend it on tourism for you. You're not going to do any tourism. You know, we're just going to spend the money on tourism that you're never going to do for you. And this well, is the well, equivalent not, of not in the, not in the short term and possibly not the medium term. Um, regarding it. I mean you I know that you're not just to clarify I know that you're not arguing mm. that there, there won't ever be tourism in New Zealand again oh no no yeah, yeah of course yeah sure yeah. Yeah. but until they open the borders and let people come in then it's basically you know they're paying it's, it's like they're paying as if people were doing tourism but they're not actually doing tourism you know what I mean yeah yeah and by the way Na- national is equally guilty on this uh i i check national's website and they they they're still promoting the same 100 million dollar investment uh for uh private companies in the tourism sector to to build things that uh, uh well basically to build the, the tourism uh sector so if you if you say hey i'd like to uh, build a new bungee jumping place at this other location yada yada not far from queenstown and so on uh i as I understand it, those are the types of projects the government's looking for. Uh, but, you know, the silly thing is, uh, you know, why is it the government that d- decides that where the bungee jumping goes? <laughs> so exactly. as, here, here's my main point. So the, again, the, the government uh, comes, comes uh, head on against Mises' economic calculation problems that the government can't know where, where, which of these to invest in. But if we want to know what might be the, how government might be rationally calculating to some extent, and I think there is there is a certain rational calculation that goes, and, and that is uh, that uh, individual politicians are th- are thinking in terms of what can help me get elected or reelected, and what can what can uh, what can help our party uh, win more bo- win more votes next time around. So suddenly they're spending uh, taxpayer money on on basically. Spending other people's money by force, by the way, that's how taxation works, um, to help them profit politically. So they're, you know, on one hand, they're, you know, there's, uh, I remember Jacinda Ardern a few years ago, tax, uh, capitalism is an utter failure, right? Well, she's very much a profiteer. I, I think she pro- probably has a problem with, with, with uh, pro- profit, profiteering. Uh, but, you know, Nobody's exempt of profiteering. It's, it, it's not the case that public servants, when they go work for the government, that they that they cease to profiteer. It's it's um, you know it's it's different different flavor of profiteering. <laughs> yeah, political. absolutely. There, there's political profiteering. They their salary is paid by uh, tax money. I mean, you can make the argument that anyone who's working for the state is a consumer of taxes, not a producer of taxes. They don't actually pay taxes. They consume That's right. taxes. That's right. Yeah. Um, this is a point that is very rarely made, though. I mean, the, you know, I'm sure Jacinda would say, oh, but I, I pay taxes like you all do. And like, no, actually, you no, don't. You're, <laughs> you, you're yeah. consuming tax money. Yeah. And, and in many cases, you, you can say that um, the tax money that is being used is being used for things that would exist on a, on a market that are good things. 100%. You know, policing, 100%. healthcare, schools, all these things. Yeah, absolutely. 
Mm. Um, but I, mean, I think um, Rothbard makes a distinction that uh, the government consists of things that would exist on a market and things that wouldn't would not exist on a market. And of course, to mm-hmm. the extent that you want to the government to cut down spending, you'd want them to cut down on things that should not ac- at all exist. And uh, that's it, right, hundred yeah. percent. And and for the things that would exist, um, or uh, for the things like bungee jumping, you, you want to say you want to say, look, the government shouldn't be investing in bungee jumping. Exactly. I mean, I guess there are two ways of looking at government expenditure in, in anything on the market. You can say that, well, you say, well, the government shouldn't be investing in that. And then and then people will say, well, they have to invest in it because it's really important. Well, if it is important, <laughs> then the private sector will invest in it because there's money going to be money made there, right? Right, right? Important to whom? Maybe just important to you, yeah. like, you know, underwater basket weaving. So you like underwater basket weaving so much. <laughs> I think it's so important the government should invest in it. But yeah. clearly, no one else does because it's legal to do underwater basket weaving now. <laughs> and as far as I know, no one's doing it. So uh, what, why, should, why, should yours, uh, take, take, uh, why should yours be invested in and not something else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then if you make the argument that, well, I mean, this is important for everyone. Like it's, uh, it's something that it's super important that is done. Then, then it would, you know, there would be a private um, it would be done on the private market because there's there's money to be made there because there's a there's a huge demand for it but then the other argument is that um, you know if if you if you um, if you make the argument that well the government shouldn't do this and and then well I mean if the government doesn't do it then it wouldn't be done it's it is of course the argument that then it shouldn't be done because then you can spend that money on something that people value much more highly that's right and so yeah, that that's how I view the um, the way that the government spend money, mm. pretty much like that. Okay, um, let's move on to the the last one. Which, unless you had any anything more, because no, the, no, no, um, that, that's good. Position co- us globally. Point five. Yeah. So this one um, on my pamphlet, it talks mainly about um, on backing our ex- exporters, and uh, my 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 thoughts on that was that of course. There's this um, whole discussion in economics about the balance of trade. Yeah, I knew um, you were going. Yeah, the trade deficit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was hoping. I was. If you didn't go there, I was going to go there. Okay, I'm going to let you take that one. But no, I, no, that's fine. I, that, that's all right. I just wanted to point out that um, a very um, a very easy way to to benefit the exporters in your country is to destroy your currency, right? Yeah, I um, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then, there's like a there's a race to the bottom. This is why. Go- well, this is among the reasons why governments like to inflate. They're obsessed with exports because they have this n- n- feeling of national pride. Is that yeah. Kiwi products exported around the world, and in the U.S., American products around the world. If you well, okay, one way in which you can do it is you can have a race race to the bottom. Is your currency uh, is inflated slightly more than than what the other currencies around the world are doing? So they're uh, so that your products are relatively cheaper than um, than uh, similar products uh, being produced uh, by com- competing countries for that product or service. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so two points here to make that I that I wanted to bring up is that, um, of course, to the extent that you're benefiting your exporters in this way, you're um, not benefiting your importers. You're benefiting your exporters at the expense of importers. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and, and an importer isn't not, this is something very important, is an importer is not just someone who orders something on Amazon, right? 
from New Zealand and they, they get it shipped from the US and it's way more expensive because the currency is destroyed. That's not just the importers. The importers, and this is uh, the most important importers, are the ones who import raw material or um, production um, material to put into production processes to, to produce things here for, for sale at the local market. And That's there... Right their business is going to suffer tremendously because everything that they need to bring in is going to be way more expensive. And the only way they can stay afloat is to raise prices. And of course, that ultimately then also impacts the people that want to buy those products because they cannot afford them, right? That's right. Expanding on your point, this is one of my favorite points. And I don't know anybody else that likes it as much as me. I've never heard anybody else repeating it. Um, But uh, one of my favorite points from... Henry Hazlitt's book, Economics in One Lesson. And, and he made the point, it, it was uh, some chapter on exports, I think it was, uh, certainly on international trade, if not on exports uh, itself. But he made the point, he said, uh, the best way to increase exports is to increase imports. <laughs> I thought it was beautiful. Uh, and expanding on that uh, to the next point, this is from the, the economist Brian Kaplan. Uh, he says that... Uh, that uh, uh, seaports, international trade, you know, seaports are, are um, uh, they're, they're f- factories. If you don't put, um, if you don't put um, Japanese cars in them, you don't, you don't get kiwi milk out of them, right? Uh, the, the, the best yeah. way to, you know, is, is you, need, you need both. Uh, governments are so obsessed with, again, this national pride argument. Um, by the way, this is, this is something that both, both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders share is this? They, they want more products made in America, made in America. Yeah. You know, okay, well that's that's fine. But you know, uh, what certainly what consumers in a country want is they want more goods and service services. They might want they might want to see is sort of again national pride. They might want to see Kiwi made, New Zealand manufactured. Okay, that's fine. But but if you really care about j- just the product itself and you you know nationalism aside and uh, you know it, it's. Um, you should you should want as many imports as possible. <laughs> yeah, and um, th- here's one way that I like to to look at it as well. And this um, this is in a very simplified form, right? But every individual um, transaction is a is equivalent to an import and an export relationship, right? Mm-hmm. If yes, if, we, if you're trading with me, um, I'm importing your money and I'm exporting my phone. Okay, and if you think about it like that, isn't the best way to live? I, I mean, uh, the best way to be is just you're just importing forever and you're never exporting anything? Yeah, all you're giving away is paper or electronic uh, representations of paper if you, you know, uh, use a credit card or you know, that kind of thing. And, and you're getting actual goods and services. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. People only want money in the first place because it, it, has, it can be used as a medium of exchange. That's People right. only want money because of the things that money can buy. Money is a means, it's not an end. Yeah, that's right. Money isn't important. It's what what money can buy that is important. Mm. And I guess this, yeah. I mean, if you think about countries like Singapore or Hong Kong, which don't have any industry, um, they're exporting, they're exporting, I mean, they're creating value and they're exporting money, I guess you can look at it like that. Mm. Mm. Um, The other thing to to keep in mind as well is that, of course, if you you destroy your currency in order to... um, benefit your exporters um, and you do that at the expense of the importers it's becoming a lot more expensive to import that's actually the equivalent yeah. of, a, of a of a scenario where 
let's say that you're in, in a war against a country and you want to you wanna make that nation poorer. What do you do? Well, you put up an embargo against that country. So you make it really expensive for goods to flow into that country. That's the, one of the first things you do when you want to destroy a country. Well, of course, mm. doing it this way economically is kind of the equivalent of having an embargo against yourself. And you're actually making yourselves poorer. Mm. That's right. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> Again, the best way to uh, increase your exports is to increase your imports. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ironically. Um, in, in, in the trade balance. Uh, so here, here's, uh, here's an example that often gets used, used to sort of help people see why the, the, the um, uh, why we, we shouldn't care about the balance of trade as such. And that, that's that, uh, it, you know, I, I have bought, um, let's say burger fuel. I have bought, I've gone to burger fuel a number of times. Uh, so I have imported from burger fuel. That is, I only gave, I only gave paper and an exchange, you know, dollars and in exchange. I actually got burgers, right? So, um, you know, if we're obsessed with the, with the trade imbalance here, uh, the uh, deficit, uh, I, I, have a, I have a deficit with, with burger fuel, but I, I've never once complained, right? It, it, we shouldn't care about what we put in and get out from a particular country, you know, the imbalance here uh, or the deficit here, because we're, you, you spend it at multiple places. You're both a buyer and a seller in different places, you know. Don't don't just the U.S. The U.S. for example shouldn't care about its uh, trade deficit with China, right? It doesn't only trade with China. You know, get over it. You know. Yeah, that's right. I agree. Mm. Um, a couple of the points. One of them: um, practical support and advice for firms looking to export for the first time. Uh, so that would get mostly. Um, um, handled by NZTE, that's New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Uh, you know, I've spent a decade doing international trade all over the world many, many times. Um, and that's uh, physically traveling as well as exporting everywhere. I, I spent nine years of those 10 years uh, specifically working in exports. So I, I certainly know this and I know that how they work in New Zealand. So and NZTE, they, generally speaking, they, they do a great job. I, I don't have any particular complaint about NZTE, but I will say just in general, in terms of uh, uh, the economic effect of, of these uh, export promotion agencies is there, there's a crowding out effect. Um, I have in the past uh, thought about, hey, yeah, maybe I'll start my own um, consulting company to help exporters. And then I go back to this thing and I've, I, other people have told me exactly the same thing who have many years experience doing the same thing is, is it, is it, well, why would I, when I know that the uh, New Zealand exporters can go to um, New Zealand trade and enterprise and get it for quote unquote for free, right? Why would they pay? They're already paying for NZTE with their taxes. Why are they going to pay again for my services? Uh, I might be able to do it better than NZTE in some things. Um, but, but uh, it, NZT, what they get from NZTE might be good enough. Right, so there's a crowding out, as we call it. There's a crowding out of local consulting companies, and it's that there are many businesses don't don't begin in the first place just because the government does that. Why, or the the, the state does does that? Why why should they? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true for anything the state's in, right? I mean, that's I saw right. that very clearly in Sweden when it's very diff difficult to do certain types of businesses in Sweden because people get um, 
they you know they get the one size fits all um solution for pays by their tax money of course and mm. in order to and and the, the curious thing here is of course in order to have something else um it's going to you're not going to reach a big market so you're going to have to have a, a very niche thing and it's going to be very expensive and it ends up being that the vast majority of people get the one size fits all solution which is that's right not great quality and the really rich people get the you know the private uh the private offering which is uh, generally of a higher quality and then you you basically you're creating a class, the class system that you didn't want to that you wanted to get rid of in the first place which is um is a bit ironic mm. Mm. Yeah, and then and this one the the other thing to point out here is that it's about negotiating free trade agreements. Um, of the course, uh, yeah, I'm in favor of that. But yeah, I wanted to say that. Yeah, so the, the point <laughs> with free trade agreements that is that um, don't don't judge a book by its cover. I, I would almost right. say is that oftentimes right. free trade agreements are unbelievably highly regulated and. And and the truth is, if, if you're really talking about a free trade agreement, you can actually summarize free trade on the back of a postcard. It's like whoever in my country wants to trade with whoever in your country can do so without tariffs or restrictions at all. And then you yeah. have it. That's right. Uh, there there was a um, an article that Murray Rothbard wrote years ago when NAFTA uh, was on its way, or I don't know if it was signed in the law yet, but um, he, he wrote a... Uh, I can't say I, I take um, quite as radical of an approach as him. Like he was against NAFTA. I'm, I'm, I'm for it pragmatically. Um, is that uh, he, he he said um, uh, that that if the if if the government he was referring to the U.S. government if the, if the U.S. government wants free trade with Canada and Mexico, the only thing it has to do is to lo- is to just lower its lo- lower get rid of its tariffs, get rid of its. Um, um, get rid of its uh, both tariff and non-tariff barriers, right? Uh, it, can, it can just do it now. It doesn't need an agreement with Mexico in order to, um, in order to make it uh, an attractive place for Mexicans to want to do business. Um, having said that, we do live in a, in a world full of nation states and uh, in often free trade agreements or the so-called, you know, FTAs uh, is the way things are done. So uh, I'm, cer- I'm certainly not against it as such, just, you know, um, but yes, and they often, you know, what was it? What was the one? What was the big one? I haven't thought about it in a while, so I, I, I the name escapes me. The, TP, the, the TPP. That's right. The, the TPP. I, yeah. I know that that I was have... accused of uh, sort of helping a lot of the um, uh, sort of on the side or somewhere in there. It, it was supposedly helping a lot of the uh, pharmaceuticals with with uh, intellectual properties, like I, I don't know, maybe maybe extending the IP for more years, which kind of actually crowds out competition. Right or yeah. sorry, uh, it restricts competition, which is yeah. not what I'm going for uh, when yeah. I when I promote a, a free trade agreement. Um, so there's there's that kind of stuff. So the it, um, the other interesting ad, you know. yeah yeah the other the interesting thing about the TPP is that before the election, the last election when Bill English was was in charge and probably during John Key's time, they were negotiating the TPP and actually Labour um, came out against it, as I remember and you. Know, someone can correct me but this is how i remember it that the labor came out against it and a lot of people on the political left so to speak were against the tpp mm. um and uh once labor got into power i think within the first few weeks they had ratified the tpp so you just see how much political mm. po- i mean it was political posturing and then in the end they just went went along with it to and no one really cared um because <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing where if my team does it 
it's right and if the other team does it it's wrong and mm. yeah um i wanted to bring up a, 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 a one last thing here also on the um the positioners globally and this is just a a little side note but it said the roadmap to boost the primary sector exports by 44 billion over the next decade so um okay um great um i, I mean it's the same thing it's like where, where are you going to get the money from uh, you're not reducing cuts it's just about spending more but i wanted to connect it to the tax policy that the, the labor put in place and i looked it up um and um the um the policy the new tax policy that labor is planning they're gonna generate 550 million uh, dollars of revenue every year right okay um and at the same time, for this single line here, they're saying that they're going to spend 44 billion over the next decade. That means they'd need to tax that tax to be in place at an equivalent level for 88 years to just pay off that program. Sorry, who calculated that? You or? That's, no, it's labor. It's on their web page. Ah, okay, they, they did. The, the oh, policy is okay. forecasted <laughs> to generate $550 million of revenue. Yeah. So for 88 years, um, they need 88 years of that tax policy to pay off this single line in their program. Mm. It, it boggles the mind like yeah it does and by the <laughs> way in new zealand 40 with a population of five million people this is a lot of money right that is a lot of money yeah 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 um you should be any- really uh yeah just just on this point um and i was going to make a point is is i i i hate it when i see these top down targets um uh 44 billion okay you came up with this how right it, it, again um it bothers me when in a democracy, <clears throat> I see political parties or politicians generally acting as if they run the country. Uh, they, they might actually indeed want to run the country and actually think they run the country, but it, it's just, um, it, it, just, it, just, it just bothers me. Uh, you know, it, it reminded me of something that um, in, in 1963, when Milton Friedman asked uh, Hong Kong's financial secretary, uh, his name was uh, Sir John James Cowperthwaite. Uh, he asked him, he said, where are all the statistics? How do you, how do you, how do you, you know, uh, what, what's your, what's your GDP per, per capita or, you know, whatever. Uh, Cowperthwaite replied to um, Milton Friedman. He said, if I let them, he's talking about his own government. He said, if I let them compute those statistics, they'll want to use them for planning. Yeah, I love that anecdote. I, I, I actually, I'm glad you brought out Copperthwaite because I was gonna, I was thinking about mentioning him as well. And okay. It's, it's just a great, it's a great anecdote. I think I think he was asked how what he did in order to make sure that Hong Kong was successful, and he said that he abolished the statistics office yeah. <laughs> for for that exact reason. And I just love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. It's a beautiful anecdote. And anybody that's been to Hong Kong, you know, before the, you know, before last year when they had sort of. Uh, well, a very difficult geopolitical issue. Anybody that's ever been there before then, uh, around what March, April last uh, 2019, when it started, and, I, and I've been, at, I think, at least three times. Um, it is just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place. Very, 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 very first world. Um, yeah, lovely place. Yeah, and of course they don't have any any industry, right? It's uh, well, it's a different kind of industry, but it's not like the they're not producing metal and stuff like that. It's Mm, it's mostly just free trade. That's what. Yeah. They, same with Singapore. Singapore yeah. is this, it was a swampland uh, just off the side of Malaysia. And then they, they actually got invited to leave from the Malaysian government, and, and they 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 had very little uh, natural resources, as you said. They didn't have industry, but what they did was they kept taxes really low. They had uh, property rights, and if you wanted to have a go, you could have a go. 
Um, and, uh, you know, these are two of the freest countries in the world, and they're two of the most lovely. Very expensive now, but, you know, they, they didn't begin that way. Yeah, and the, and the interesting thing here to point out as well, and this, this might uh, get us in trouble at some point, but they are two of the most freest countries and two of the richest countries, and they are not democracies as well, which is uh, mm, yeah, an yeah. interesting point to make. Yeah, uh, Lee Kuan used um, uh, Singapore. It was very, uh, in terms of the market, it was relatively very free. And when I say relative, you can go to uh, either Fraser or or the the uh, the Heritage um, Foundation's Index of Economic Freedom. And uh, Singapore and Hong Kong have always always topped the charts, like one or two, uh, yeah. out of all the countries in the world. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, before we, I assume you didn't have anything else to... No, no. no? Okay, so I'll before say. we before we uh, leave here, I'd, I'd like to just uh, discuss a little bit on the um, on the slogan as well of, of the Labour Party. Um, ah, which, yes. Which, of course, uh, it's... Keep uh, moving, I moving. think it's keep moving, right? Well, let's keep moving. Now, one of the interesting things um, with, with the Labour Party and, the, you know, the Democratic Party is that they're always talking about movement. Right. Mm. So you had let's keep moving is what we have now. Right. Um, you had the Democratic Party under uh, Obama, which was um, forward. And oh, um, what well, are you do, you? do you mean the uh, the Democratic Party's uh, slogan? Yeah, the Democratic uh, Party's slogan was forward. And then there was another one. That it was. Yeah. And uh, you had Hillary's, which was I'm w- I'm with I'm her, with her. Right. but it was with an arrow and it was like a movement. Right. And of course, all of that implies the general ideology, I believe, of progressivism, where we're mm. moving, we're progressing towards... In a particular direction. The, right. In a particular direction. So, okay. So let, let's keep that in mind. And then you have, let's keep moving. Okay. Now, the first question when you're moving somewhere is like, where are we going? I know. Yeah. So if the end result of that is like full-on progressivism, you, you know, communism, count me out. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to yeah, move to that, that direction. Right. That's right. Yeah. What, what would I would love them to state coherently? Uh, what is your end goal? Towards what? It's just always like if you ask them which direction should taxes go, their answer is just always more, more, yeah. more. Like e- even with the Laffer curve, even if you can, even if you can get it across to them, like like you, you realize your tax rate, your pa- tax base decreases if you raise taxes above a certain point, right? Because people aren't going to work for free and they're not going to work for tiny profit, right? Like. But the answer is always just more, more, more. And like, until when? Like, once you get to that more, four years later, you'll, you'll want more again, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, state coherent, coherently what it is you actually want. And, and then I can decide you know, whether or not I, uh, I want to go in that direction or all of us, whether we want to go in that direction. That's right. And you have the, by the way, I remember what the other slogan for Obama was, and that was um, change or change. Yeah. We hope, hope and change. Hope yeah, and change, hope yeah. and change. So change, again, it's pointless. Like, what are we, cha- where, what are we changing from and what are we changing to? That's, those are the most important questions to answer. But just change for change itself is not, is not useful. And, and the other thing you already hinted on at that, it's like, well, okay, we're going here, but what if I don't want to join? And that reminds me of something that I saw on a, on a political poster in Sweden, of course. And um, it was a, a left, left-leaning left party. I, I think it was the Social Democrats. Uh, and on their poster, they had, uh, and I'm going to translate this um, Where is literally. This? Which country? This, this, this is in, in Sweden. So I'm going to translate it literally. But the, yeah. the political slogan was... Um, Everyone has to come along, okay? 
And <laughs> it's it's so not voluntary. It's not voluntary, right? This, train, like, is, this train is going and you're going to be on it whether you want to be on it or not. Right. And everyone was like, uh, oh, that's so beautiful. You know, it's a, it's a vision <laughs> where everyone is allowed to come along. It's like, no, 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 no. It didn't say everyone is allowed to come along. It says everyone has to come along. The, the key word here was has to come along. Yeah, man. And the, yeah, and it's just something that, yeah, again, it, 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 um, it bothers me whenever I see that it's there, it's always about the movement, but like, I don't want to go in that direction. I don't want to be led in that direction where, where you know, where's, where, where's the, where, where do I fit into this scheme? Right. Right. Is there any point, is there any aspect of society in which I can say that's mine, that's my domain. Right. And I mean, I mean, they, I'm, I don't smoke weed or whatever, but they don't even let you, at least now, even smoke weed in your own home by yourself. I'm not talking about with if you have kids at home, but it's, you can't even smoke weed at home by yourself. You know, like, is there any domain that's just left up to me? me? That, that's mine. Uh, you can say, okay, your toilet, what you do in the bathroom, as long as you're not smoking weed, that, okay, no, cam- <laughs> no government cameras or, you know, like, is there any place where it can be left to our own domain that we can say that's ours? Yeah, that's mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, cool. I think that kind of was, um, was an, a good run through of the, um, the program. I guess, you know, we're not going to have time to go through the other political parties program before the election. And, and it, in my mind, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter so much uh, to me. I, I think... No, no. It, 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 like, I, like I said in the beginning, uh, I've noticed exactly the same, some of these things. And um, it's not a matter of, of kind, it's a matter of scale. And yeah. that's, in other words, uh, national wants to do a lot of the same things, just at a different, a different, uh, to a different scale. Uh, thankfully, let's say, not as much of the same scale that we see from labor. That's right. Yeah, it's um, you could call them almost labor light, I think. And uh, yes, labor light. That's a good way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's not much difference, and and also I was going to say that in this election, I think it's fairly clear who's going to who's going to win the election. Um, anyway, so. Um, I, I just thought it was an interesting thing to go go through because what I think is going to happen is that the next three years um, are going to be pretty pretty hard economically. I think, mm. and uh, important yeah. to know ahead of time why. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah. before the election even took place, or some people have uh, voted in advance. What do you call it? Uh, I actually voted already, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, vote early. Yeah, vote early. There you go. We're uh, we're, we're we're calling it out what it is it's not a good direction but. It, yeah it is not a it's not a good direction so yeah i guess we'll just have to keep our eyes open and see what what happens and and then criticize what what should be criticized and you know praise what should be should be praised it could also happen and i i have to um remind myself that um the party in the 80s that deregulated the new zealand economy it was um, labor was actually labor so that's right yeah yeah, people don't realize how how uh, how, uh, how what a, what a gem they had with uh, Sir Roger Douglas and later with Ruth, Ruth Richardson. Um, and uh, you know, I, I went to an event, an event my first week in New Zealand um, in, with uh, um, uh, Roger Douglas, and, and and he he spoke and he said, uh, people often ask me which what was my what's my political affiliation, whether it was left or right, or what's what's my political orientation you could say and he said he said uh look i was with labor but he said he said the only thing i did he said I, I noticed that nothing was working there was all this all this subsidies for here all these controls on that is like nobody could get anything done right uh, that would be an, an episode in itself we could just talk about all these 
problems uh, before the before the liberalization of, of the economy. Um, and he said, I know this, it just nothing worked. He, he said, he said, so I, I wasn't uh, acting out of vision of the left or the right. He said, I just noticed that seemingly nothing was working. And he said, all I did was everywhere I saw privilege, everybody had a special hand, uh, you know, you know, getting some special privilege from the government. Uh, and he said, all I did was that everywhere I saw privilege, I just removed it. I just removed, removed, removed privilege everywhere. And, and that's how we got the New Zealand that we have, which, by the way, is a quite lovely place. It is a lovely place. I agree. And, uh, and that uh, removing privileges is something that should span the political spectrum. I think um, the word privilege, of course, comes from uh, prive and lege, which means private law. So it's a law that is instituted huh. specifically for a private individual or a private company. Mm, yeah. So that's where the word comes from. And th those things should not exist if we're living in, in my view, if we're li living in a country, we should all live under the same law and we shouldn't. Amen. That's yeah, right. We shouldn't be privileged by having special laws written for special people. That's right. And by the way, this, this is often, from time to time, this is often things that get said by people on the left. So Absolutely. To, that, to that extent, we're with you. Join us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he, because I saw him give a speech as well, and he made that point as well, that he, um, he was with Labour, but he said, the only thing I did was uh, remove privileges, which, by the way, is a, is a leftist point. He said, and I thought yeah. that's great. That's a good point. That's right. Yeah. All right, Emil. It's been a good chat. I think we uh, did at least one hour longer than I thought we would do, uh, which is it just shows that it was an interesting subject for us to discuss, and I really enjoyed enjoyed the chat today. Mm, agreed. Yep, it was good. Uh, we won't take any more of our listeners' time. Thank you for having us, or rather, thank you for listening to us. Uh, our fourth episode. Um, see you next time. for listening.